Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Good morning. You know what? I, I, um, today, um, I get to speak on something that's very theological and that is very practical to our lives. And if, if we miss this point, now this should, this should get you. If we miss this point that I'm going to talk about today, you are, it's, it's definitely going to impact your life. It's going to affect you. If you don't get this part of your understanding of how, God's, how God works, it could change or uh, divert what God intends for you to do. It's almost like, you know, if there's a fire, do you know where the fire extinguishers are? Do you know where the exits, right? <laughs> right? You, there are certain things in our Christian life that we really just need to know. So now that maybe I got your attention, I, I, I want to encourage us. It, would, you, um, would you just humor me? If you can, would you mind standing? Just, just standing where you're at? Uh, this, this is not super spiritual, but, but I would just like to express your thanks to the Lord through applause. Is that okay? The, the, wait, wait, wait. I didn't ask you to do it yet. <laughs> the, the scriptures tell us that, that it, that is one way to worship. It's not the only way to worship. It's not the, the primary way to worship necessarily, but it's one way. And, and, and one of the things with applause, it is like the, the blowing of the trumpet. It, it clears the spiritual realm and it, it, it actually allows your heart to understand what your head is thinking. Or maybe the other way around. Maybe it gets your head into thinking where your heart really should be. Is anybody just really thankful for what God has done in their lives today? Anybody? So if you have, could you just express that with this? Father, thank you, Father. Amen. 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 Okay. So you know that I can out cheer you and some of you cheer for your sports teams more than God. And I I just want to, I want to convict you of that. You may be seated. Yes, I'm speaking to some of you more than others. One of the things that I learned as a young Christian is that sometimes the way that we worship is um, weak. (laughs) Sometimes the way we worship is... I learned the fact that I'm a, I'm a sports enthusiast and when my team wins, I give excitement to that. And I'm thinking if I don't give the same excitement and understanding and clear uh, praise to God for what he's done in my life, I may be missing out on something very critical. Does that make sense? Praise is huge. Praise isn't just me making noise, by the way. It's me recognizing what God has done. So the, the thing I had you stand up and said, do you remember what God's done in your life? Do you remember? Because I can tell you, as soon as you forget, the enemy will wedge you away. All right, well, let's get into the study. Hey, so today, what I want to talk to you about is, uh, I want to begin with probably the first account or the first demonstration of salvation in the Bible. Does anybody know where that might be? Anybody have an idea that isn't Steve Velvet? Anybody have an idea? Because he's a cheater. Oh, no, he's, he's my nephew. But here's the thing, ready? Anybody know where you can find the first account of God's plan of salvation in the Bible? First of all, if, if, you, if you need a Bible, we have these that are free. In fact, we'd love to give it to you if you don't have one. But if you do have one, if, if, you, could, if you don't have one, if you can get it, if you, don't, if you have a Bible, could you open it? Could you get it out? I, I, I believe that if you have a Bible, you should read it. If you have a phone, I don't have a problem with it. I'm not offended. 
if you have a digital apparatus. But if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand if you'd like one. Okay, does everybody have it? I'm looking, I'm looking around. You should open it. It's not hard. Okay. You know, you know when you're just the first time you've broken the... Okay. I, want to, I, I just want to take your attention to Genesis chapter 1. It's not really hard. For those of you who don't know anything about the Bible, it's in the very beginning. Very beginning. You have to get through some of the introduction stuff. But the first chapter... And I don't know if we have that on the screen. It didn't matter. So I'm depending on you that if you, that you need to read this unless you have it memorized. Anybody have it memorized? Okay. Yeah, right. This is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. How many people have heard that before? Raise a hand. Hey, oh, good. You haven't heard it before? Okay, just, you just don't want to raise your hand? So the truth of the matter is, this is, at the very beginning, shows the print the blueprint of God's salvation. The salvation story was hidden in the book at the very beginning. And so when you don't read Genesis because you don't think it's valuable or you think it's for some other people, some other time frame, you are sorely mistaken. Be reproved gently. In the beginning, God should get your attention. As believers, we should be looking for what is God doing? What is God doing in my life today? What has he done in my life yesterday? What is he planning to do tomorrow? But what God did is he created the heavens and the earth. And how the story goes is I want you to put you in there. In the beginning, God created Dennis. At some point in time, I was created. At some point. And you know how I was? This, this tells me right here. You know what my condition of my life was? I was formless and empty. And darkness covered me. Anybody have that confession? Anybody know the deep darkness and the emptiness and the formlessness without God in their lives? Anybody? Just me? That's why I praise God, because I was moved from that. Here's the rest of the story. Ready? If that was the condition, if that was the end of the story, light, turn the lights off. But, but watch what happens. And the Spirit of God hovered over the surface. What is that? What does it mean that the Spirit of God hovered over the surface. If I'm dark and empty and formless and hopeless and all the things I was, what is the Holy Spirit, what is the Spirit of the living God doing in my life today? What did he do back in the day when I, when I didn't know? What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What is, what is he doing who is this Holy Spirit? Who is this Spirit of God? And what is his job? And why is he so doggone important? I submit to you that one of the, the principal works of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, is to put a hunger, is to put a conviction, is to put an awareness of our condition. I didn't know I was hungry. I didn't know I was thirsty. I didn't know I was dark. I didn't know I was formless. I didn't know I was a loser. I thought it was okay. I really did. Until God says, you want to know the truth? Would you like to catch a clue of the, the reality? That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the Spirit of God does. He hovers. 
He brings the truth. He puts a hunger in you. And then God says, let there be light. He calls it out. He says, listen, I've opened your eyes to the truth. And then he separates the truth or the truth, the light from the darkness. Can I tell you that is the picture of each of your walk with God. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've, if you've been turned from darkness to light, this is your confession right here. You can just say, hey, you want to go through this outline? This is how I came to Jesus. If you don't know who Jesus is, can I tell you it's as simple as that. The message is very clear. You are a mess without God. But God loved you. And he gave his son Jesus to die in your place so that you would be restored, that your eyes would be opened to the value given to you by the, the, the supreme God. I, am I done? Is it, is it 1040? Yeah. Oh. Today, what I'd like to do is talk to you a little bit about the spirit of the living God. Our, uh, we're in the midst of a series uh, in uh, the, we, we've been going through the gospel of John for three years. I think we're, we're, we're in uh, chapter 16. So I, I just want to warn you, we're in chapter 16, verse 5 through 15 today. And um, for, for those people who are theologians, they call that the upper room discourse. This is where Jesus is in the upper room uh, during the time of Passover, the last supper season. And uh, chapters 13 through 17 has to do with conversations and prayer that Jesus has with his disciples. So it's the upper room discourse. That's what it's at. But so I'm going to read this. So we're going to read this. I'm going to read it to you. You don't have to read along out loud. <laughs> Verse five. So and if you have the black book, it's on page 897 in the New Living but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking, where am I going? Instead, you grieve because of what I told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you see me and you see me <laughs> you see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There's so much more I want to tell you, but I can't you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we're so thankful. Today we get to talk about you. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you for sending the one that was to redeem not just Israel, but the world. And Jesus, I thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. And I pray now that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word that you would take this printed page or the words out of my mouth. They're so insignificant. They're so futile in explaining or, or presenting who you are. But I, but I know that you have a way to open hearts and minds. So right now I pray if there be any, uh, <laughs> any hitch or any preconceived knowledge or understanding or deception. I, I come against that by the power of the name of Jesus. And I pray that you, that you would open our hearts to receive your word, maybe in a fresh way. We just thank you. 
for all that in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna go through it again, right? We, we read it and then this is how good teachers do it and so I'm gonna to try to be one of those today. Verse five, but now I go away to the one who sent me and not only, and not one of you is asking where am I going? Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. See, previously, the disciples had asked, where are you going? You know, Jesus would say, I'm going to go away. And they said, well, where are you going? So it's sort of interesting that Jesus said, none of you is asking. So Jesus, the, the, the phrases, people, the, the disciples had asked before, but Jesus is saying, right now, you're not asking where I'm going. And, and commentators really believe that the tense is that the disciples were so distressed that Jesus is going that they were worried about themselves. So where are you going is impacting me, Jesus. Why are you going away? Why are you leaving us orphans? They were grieving because they, they thought, if Jesus says he's going away, then can he be the Messiah that we've been trying to follow? What about our three years of investment? See, they were grieving because they were wondering what was going to happen to them. And Jesus is saying, do you want to know what's going to happen to me? Nobody's asking about what's happening to the Messiah. And I want to tell you, that's a real human condition. How many people know that? I'm all about me. It's, like I'm, I, it's almost like I'm on the stage and you guys are just part players. But what God, what, it's interesting, Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, he said, hey, do you want to know the, the true rest of the story? Do you, want to, do you want to delve past your physical condition? Do you want to know the truth? Yeah, they were afraid of being orphaned. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Greg said, when a group of disciples, like when their, their rabbi died or moved on, they, would, they were considered orphaned. And that's what the condition of these disciples were. In verse seven, Jesus says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. And if I, and if I don't go away, then, um, then I will send him to you, right? If I do go away, I will send to you. If you're a math person, you love conditional statements. If then, if then, if then. Right? If, you, if you're a parent, you should love conditional statements. If then, if then, if then. If you clean your room, I have a benefit for you. But if you don't clean your room, there is a consequence. Like I like uh, benefit and consequences, whatever you choose to fill in there. Right? Consequences. But Jesus is very clear. He says, listen, there's an if-then statement here. If I don't go, this advocate won't come. But if I do go... I'm going to send him to you. Oh, oh, thanks. Thanks, Jesus. In fact, he says something that's really crazy. He says, despite your sorrow, despite this sense that you feel you're losing me, I have something better for you. Wait a minute. Check your theology. There is something better for us than the physical Jesus on the earth. I know, I know, that, that could be heresy right there. Something better for me than the physical Jesus. How could that be? Jesus is saying it, right? I, I, I'm not the heretic here, I'm just reading it. Jesus is saying there's something better for you. And so I'm looking at it as, like when we look at Jesus in the flesh, how many people would, would just fall down dead if, if Jesus in the flesh was with them? See, you're already dead. You're not even responding, right? right? We we're already there like, yeah, we, we, we wouldn't know what to do. But Jesus is saying, when the advocate comes, he is going to be more beneficial for you, more expedient, more fruitful, more important to you than me right now. That's what it says. It's good that I go away. 
we're going, wow. Jesus must know something. That's a pretty scary statement. Despite your sorrow. Yeah, one, one commentator said that the sending of the advocate was more beneficial than the, the risen Jesus on the earth. If Jesus hadn't gone, Jesus is, is giving that story. See, our perspective now 2,000 years later, we know that Jesus goes on and endures crucifixion and goes through the process of, of death, burial, and resurrection, right? We see that benefit. We see the Jesus. We know the story that Jesus is raised. Praise God, right? We know that story. We know the fact that Jesus died to redeem us, to pay the price that, that of our guilt and our sin. We know that. But Jesus says, that's only the first part. The part that you're really gonna be interested, the part that, that really is gonna change your life, yes, 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 absolutely. Being redeemed is the first part. It is the critical part. But the next part is just as critical. Right? The Spirit of God in you is just going to change you. See, theologically, there are, there are, there's, I hate being theological, but there's some truth, some truth in theology. Just kidding. Theology is what we understand about who God is, right? The study of God. Theology tells us that there are three basic parts of the salvation process. The big words are justification, sanctification, glorification. In the scriptures we see we have been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Right? There are three tenses in the scripture that talks about salvation. We know the have been saved. The justification is we, have, we, we are considered just as if I'd never sinned, right? That's, the, that's what the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus accomplished. I no longer have the guilt of sin that I deserve because Jesus took the place. I'm justified to the Father. That, that brings me into a relationship with him that I did not deserve and did not earn, right? I am now his kid. I did nothing to earn that. The second stage See, that's Jesus' bit. That's what he did. And, and so he went to the Father and said, job completed. And then the Spirit of God, he's the one that deals with the sanctification part. The sanctification part is where you and I get goofy. Where God starts dealing with intimate stuff in you. The best, the best analogy is what a caterpillar does when it enters into a chrysalis. The word is metamorphosis. When, when the scripture says, be ye transformed, it, you, it's the word metamorphosis. It is a transition or transformation that you don't have anything to do with. Do you know why you don't have anything to do with it? Because you're not good at it. I have never been good at making me better. I'm good at making me worse. That's my skill set. That's my confession. Anything good in me has centered and started in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God reveals truth to me. I'm not good at it. How many people run from truth? You don't raise your hands. I run from truth. I don't like people telling me I'm wrong. Ever. Ever. <laughs> I just don't like it. I need it sometimes, but I don't like it. But guess what the Spirit of God does? He brings truth in order to, to put me into this metamorphosis, this change, this sanctification. That's what the Spirit of God, that's why Jesus said, it's better for you that I go because you're going to enter into this metamorphosis that changes you from this sinful creature into a, a creature that represents the living God. 
God puts a seed into you. A seed that, that has the, the proper, when growth happens, you will have the fruit of the Spirit. You will have the characteristics of God in you. It's not that you're that good, but God in you is great. Right? How are we doing so far? Right? This is theological and it's really deep. But most of you are going, yeah, check. That happened to me. Yeah, check. <laughs> That's the truth. Right? But, but we know that the Holy Spirit was poured on us after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not just to give us power and get, make it all exciting, but to transform us into his image. The, the Spirit of God we see in this scripture, it, when it says the advocate, it actually uses a Greek word called parakletos. And paraclete, a paraclete, um, so if you break it down, para is coming alongside, like parallel lines, coming alongside. Para, parallel, right? Coming alongside. A cleat is actually, for in, in our common day usage, if you're in construction, a cleat, like if you have a beam or board, you could put a strip underneath to support. So a paraclete is one who comes along and supports. Come along and support. That's the goal of the Holy Spirit. Some of the words in, in the Bible with a, different versions, they say that, that he is the uh, advocate, the helper, the comforter, the encourager, the, the uh, counselor. And, and one translation says, the one who is coming to stand by you. The paraclete comes along and supports us. He also has the ministry of, of encouraging to urge us, to exhort us, to move us, to, to get us off the couch. When one of the things that we look at is what makes one person change their lifestyle so that they are obedient to God? Do you, do you think they all of a sudden get smart enough? I, I know guilt can motivate but, but, but the Spirit of God changes us and encourages us. He, he's a friendly counselor. But, uh, you know, we, we know that Jesus, in, in a couple chapters earlier, he, he says, and Jesus repeatedly said, I'm going to send this advocate. I'm going to send this uh, another um, he, he calls it another uh, paraclete. Uh, Jesus was referring to himself. When Jesus was on the earth, his ministry was to come alongside and support. And he said, but another one is coming. I'm going to go and I'm going to send another paraclete, another supporter for you. Uh, so in verse 8, it says, And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin, and of God's righteousness, and of coming judgment. I think that that's really interesting. We get a very clear picture. Now, well, maybe, maybe it's not very clear. Let me, let me read that again. When he comes, when the Spirit of God comes on the earth, he will convict the world of sin, of its sin, and of God's righteousness, and the coming judgment. Now, the, the important part to me is, before I get into it too much, is notice that the Spirit of God is, is notated as a masculine he. In the church, sometimes the Holy Spirit is an it. Eh, that's not how it works. Jesus refers to the person of the Holy Spirit, that he, that he has power, that he directs, that he convicts, right? That's the first thing. It's not a non-gendered thing. I won't go into that. <laughs> And then the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict, right? Is to bring people to awareness, to bring people to the truth. Now, the, the, in one sense, the word convict is very legal, right? We can, we can get the sense of a courtroom to convict, right? That's one thing. It's actually to point out you are guilty of sin or you're guilty of this transgression. But to convict also has the idea of reproving or, or bringing the truth in a matter, right? Uh, another way to look at it is when, I, I love the play in words, when if the Holy Spirit is the counselor, he could be a legal advisor, 
as well as one who teaches me how to live my life, right? Counselor has both of those attributes at the, at the same time. Okay. One of the things that we talk about is the, the, the role of the Holy Spirit isn't new. When I read Genesis chapter one, the, the role of the Holy Spirit was the convictor, was the one that brought the truth to our lives from the very beginning. So this is not new. This is not something that's dramatically changed. It's just something that has impacted us for this season. One of the things that I look at is, and just ask the question, can anyone come to a saving understanding of who Jesus is without the Holy Spirit? And I submit to you, no. Without the Holy Spirit's work, without him brooding over and, and stirring the pot and bringing revelation and conviction, no one will open their eyes. Right? So the promise that I will pour out my spirit on you isn't just, oh, he's going to give me power. No, that is the power that changes lives, not just giving power to do things. Right? All right. Um, one of the things I want to look at is I have a list. It's like, how does the Holy Spirit bring conviction? And, and you might think, well, I don't want this, I don't want, I don't like being told that I'm wrong. So how does the Spirit of God bring conviction? And can I tell you, um, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, he uses you. Well, that's not very a lot of fun necessarily, but this is how it works. Is that the Holy Spirit would, will bring signs and wonders. We see it in the Old Testament or in the New Testament church a, a lot where signs and wonders brought crowds, Right? And people said, what is this? What's happening? Well, today, the Holy Spirit still uses signs and wonders. When, when your neighbor or your family member says, why are you this way? And, and I'll, I'll just read the list. He, he uses signs and wonders. He uses uh, personal revelations. He uses preaching and testimonies. He uses your righteous living. And he uses instruction in prayer. But, but let me just tell you how this works. In life, people are attracted to you in Christ. Because of your walk with God, certain people will be attracted to you. You will have impact on them. And sometimes that will be, they're, they're saying, I see God did this in your life, a testimony. Sometimes it, it will be by uh, your praying with them or teaching them or showing them the, the word of God. Uh, we, we know that when Peter stood up and preached in Acts 2, the people, the end result, they said they were convicted in their heart and they said, what must we do? See, conviction isn't just designed to make somebody feel bad. It's designed to bring them into the right relationship with God. It has a purpose. God never leads us in the place of guilt and shame. That has no benefit. That is not his style. It's all about the redemptive process. But the idea is when we look at evangelism, when God brings people into your life or he sends you out into the world, the idea is you are acting as an agent of the Holy Spirit, not to say you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, but to be an example so that people will be drawn into the faith. Verse nine says, it breaks down and this is where Jesus explains. See, he he is the teacher here. He explains the verse prior. He says, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. The first thing I want you to see is he doesn't say the world sins. It is a singular. See, if I, if I started picking out this sin is worse than that sin, and listen, I personally believe that there are worse sins. They all have the same consequence and, and, and uh, they all have the same judgment. But I think that, you know, murdering somebody is worse than stealing candy. I just do. But the truth of the matter is the sin that Jesus talks about, the sin that matters, the sin that separates one person from the living God is unbelief. 
And it's not just, ah, oh, you know, I don't know about this God thing. It is a refusal to accept the fact that, that it's already there, that God has already proven to you. In Romans, it says that the world knows by evidence that it looks around that there is a God and, and that you have someone to deal with. And the Spirit of God is working in every heart to bring them to that truth. And when somebody says, I will not believe, there's a problem there. The Spirit of God will convict unbelievers of sin graciously so that they might recognize their need for God. The essence of sin is unbelief, the total rejection of God and his message. Verse 10, righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. The ascension of Jesus is critical because it tells us that Jesus finished his assignment. If Jesus hadn't completed his purpose on the earth, if he hadn't had lived a righteous life, the life that I couldn't live, if he hadn't had paid the price that I deserved to pay, if he hadn't completed that package, he wouldn't have gone to heaven. But his ascension to heaven, his going to be with the Father is proof that that portion of this, the salvation scheme has been completed. That righteousness has been established. Notice the words, he has made righteousness available to us. It is a relational statement. It is not a behavioral statement. Righteousness has two, two aspects. Relational and behavioral. Relational is something that he gives me. When you have a child, that child is yours. That child did nothing to be your child. Just is. Sometimes you're stuck with them. I'm looking over there. No, I'm just kidding. Right? Sometimes you're stuck with them. <laughs> but the child did nothing to be your child. The child is. Relationally, they have been positioned. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's what the work of Jesus did. The work of the Holy Spirit is to bring us into relational or into behavioral righteousness. It's right living. See, I already have right relationship. This metamorphosis I talked about, I talked about before is the process of living right before God, which I don't have a clue how to do by myself. And I really don't like it because it tells me I'm wrong and it, it keeps me away from my personal pleasures. But Jesus says, righteousness has been available, available to you because I go to the Father. Verse 11, judgment will come because the ruler of the world has been judged. The judgment of, of the Satan, the, the, the deceiver, will be a final reckoning between God and this world. It's interesting that God took care of sin when he died, when Jesus died on the cross. And God is taking care of sin in me through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. But at the end time, he will take care of sin in, in the world by judging the world. Uh, it's interesting that normally when you have conviction, there's an immediate judgment. If you can think of a courtroom scene and someone has been convicted of a crime, the next step is to say, here's the punishment of your crime. But in, in the, the spiritual sense, in God's justice, we have been convicted of sin, but the Holy Spirit works the in-between step, right? In the in-between step of the revelation of righteousness. See, in the world, my conviction means I, I should die. And, and Jesus, or in the scripture, says the wages of sin is death. If we took Jesus out of the middle, sin equals death. But what God did is insert 
a, a system to become righteous before him. The world doesn't know that. That's our job. That's our responsibility in Christ. Verse 12. Jesus says, there is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is a crazy statement of Jesus. He just said, um, I wasn't able to teach you everything you need to know. That's a hard confession for a teacher. I mean, in one sense, did Jesus fail? Of course not. He didn't fail. He just said, you can't handle what I have to tell you right now. There is no way I could tell you what you need to know and you would understand it. In fact, I've told you all that you can absorb. You are super saturated. I've done all I can. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. One of the things that I tell you and I want to encourage you is that we need to be submitting and seeking the spirit, the, to the spirit of truth. Recognizing that the, the first thing that the spirit of truth did, one of the things we see is that he was deposited in the, in the disciples and the apostles and he revealed many things to the, to the disciples that Jesus never told them. Is that right? There are certain things that the disciples understood through the Spirit that Jesus never told them. Like, oh, um, non-Jews can come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ without becoming a Jew first. <laughs> was, was that revelation easy? Did, did Peter go, wow, I think I got that the first time? No, no, there was a process for Peter to come to that revelation. The Spirit of God leads us into truth. Now, we know that the Spirit of God will not deny or come against the truth that is, is in his word. The beautiful thing is, when we, our, our trust and our faith is that the Spirit of God is the author of what we know as the Bible. The Spirit of God has authored and penned the words that we live by. And even now, when the Spirit of God speaks to you, it will coordinate and, and be in alignment with the Word of God. That's our truth. That's our understanding. In fact, it's a, in, in Ephesians 1, it says, uh, Paul speaks uh, to the people and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I have to confess, I'm always in the process of knowing him more and more. If you're in a place where you think, well, I'm done and I know him enough, I, I want to tell you, you might be in a place of deception. <laughs> I don't think that's the way it works. It's like a son talking to the father and says, oh, I know you enough. I don't need to be around you anymore. That makes zero sense. Why? Because dad is the one who feeds you. <laughs> right? The way I get my kids to my house, as I said, I'm having a dinner. <laughs> just, that's how that works <laughs> most of the time. But, but we know that uh, he will not speak on his own. This is uh, a verse, the middle of verse 13. He, the spirit, will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. This really reminds me of John chapter 5 verse 30. Where Jesus said, I can do nothing unless my Father tells me. This is, this is a direct parallel. Let me, let me put it this way. Again, the math people will love this. If Jesus doesn't do anything except that the Father tells him, let me put it in a, in a less clunky way. 
Jesus speaks what the Father says to say. The Holy Spirit speaks what Jesus wants him to say. What is the Holy Spirit speaking? What the Father says. Right? The message is no different. Jesus did what the Father asked him to do. The Spirit does what, the, what Jesus tells him to do. Oh, wait, wait. Let's fill the rest of the thing. If the Spirit of God dwells within you, <laughs> where do you fit in this picture? If, if you're required through the love of God, the Spirit of God's in you, and you're designed to do what the Spirit of God tells you to do, which is doing what Jesus tells him to do, which is doing what the Father tells him to do, your obedience is to the Spirit and is to Jesus and is to the Father. Isn't that special? Huh, I wish I knew how it worked. <laughs> the question in our prayer today is, Father, I, I want to serve you and I want to please you and I want to thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit the, the, to live within, within us. The real question and the prayer for us today is, Lord, are the words, are the words that I'm hearing and the words that, that I'm doing, are my actions, are they reflecting you? Am I doing what you're asking me to do? Am I, am I actually coming alongside of and supporting like you did? See, wouldn't that be a, a reflective action of the Spirit of God? If the Spirit's in you, wouldn't you see the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? Wouldn't those attributes be part of me? Lord, let those reflect in me. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that uh, we could not make this up. <laughs> Lord, you have made a way for us to come into your presence. You brooded over us, Holy Spirit. The light was spoken into our lives and we became alive. Holy Spirit, we thank you for leading and directing and guiding us today. We ask that you would teach us and show us your ways. We, we ask that, that we would be men and women who hear and obey so that we might reflect the, the, the same spirit that was put in us. Bless each one here, Father. Convict us of sin. Draw us into your righteousness, that we might be overcomers in the days ahead. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a few announcements. And just, I, this might not be part of the announcement, so, but I want to let you know, we're going to be doing a little bit of a... Um, uh, housekeeping, not housekeeping. We're going to have a potluck here tonight. I heard rumor. So if you're willing and able, I'd love for those people who can to stay around and we're going to adjust some chairs. Is that fair? But here first, we're going to have some announcements. Well, good morning, ARCF family. We did it, we finally picked our next name. And the new name is Foundation Church. Now it's gonna take some time to fully make the switch. More on that in the coming weeks, so please be patient. But in the meantime, it's time to celebrate. Tonight at 5 p.m. right here in the sanctuary, we're gonna have a good old fashioned church potluck. No agenda, no program, just gathering together to celebrate our new adventure together. So come join us tonight at 5 p.m. to celebrate and don't forget to bring a dish to share. Ladies, there's a new Bible study starting up this month using Zoom. The studies will take place on Friday mornings at 9.30 a.m. and begin on Friday, September 10th, and will run for eight weeks. Your leaders have chosen to study through the book, Jesus and Me, Experiencing the Holy Spirit by Anne Graham Lotz. To get one of these study guides, you're gonna to wanna to head over to Amazon or christianbook.com and order yours soon. Your leaders, Carolyn Martinez and Sharon White, are excited to be studying this book with you and are praying that you will join them. If you have any questions, you can contact Sharon White at the number found in your bulletin. 
Hey moms, are you tired of asking your kids, where are your pants? Or even saying, we don't lick the dog. Well, we have two hours twice a month where you don't have to worry about any of those things. That's right. Our Mops slash Moms Next group is starting back up soon. And I just gave you reason number 47 from their website as to why you should join. Our Mothers of Preschoolers group is starting back up for the fall on Thursday, September 9th at 6.45 p.m. And they meet right across the way in the Connection Center. If you're a mom with young children, infants to school age, you are invited to be a part of this group. Or if you happen to know a mom who needs to be encouraged and supported by other moms, then we encourage you to let them know about the Moms Group. Treats, coffee, relevant speakers, small groups, activities, and crafts are just some of the things that this group of moms do. Usual meeting times are the first and third Thursday of every month from 6.45 p.m. to 8.30. Feel free to visit their website at myarcf.com forward slash mops or you can contact Cindy DeBeer. All right, church family, before I take off, I've got two quick reminders for you. Right after the service at 10.30 this morning, there's going to be a meeting in the office for the Serve Our Seniors team. So if you're interested in being part of that team, make sure you go to that meeting. And your second reminder are the fall disciple groups. Signups are going on now right here at the sign-up table in the back of the sanctuary. Now, the groups will be starting up around the beginning of September, so make sure you stop by here on your way out. Okay, church family, that's all I got for you, and thanks for your support with these announcement videos. Now, I won't be here next week, so as always, please make sure you grab yourself a bulletin, read left to right, front to back, for more events and more information. Awesome. Thanks for joining us this morning. Be blessed. We'll see you next week.